Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. You might remember a man by the name of Edgar Wisenant. He was a NASA engineer who used his mathematical skills to set a date for the return of Christ. He wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place in 1988. The book created a buzz in the Christian community. He was so certain that Jesus would return on September 10th, 1988, that he said, If I'm wrong, then the scripture is mistaken. He believed for certain that Christ would be here that day. But the day came and passed, and Edgar didn't know half as much as he thought he did. The old saying held true, if at first you don't succeed, fail and fail again. Edgar wrote a second book the next year claiming that he forgot that the calendar didn't start with one, but the year zero. So he said he was a year off, but of course he failed again. It's wrong to set dates for the rapture. And the scripture is never mistaken. We are taught by Paul that every day is a possible day that the Lord will return. And we are to be ready and to be looking up and looking for Him every single day. Any date that is set should be immediately dismissed out of hand as error and false teaching. And as we know, in 2011, Harold Camping also set a date. In this episode, we'll continue to look at the differences between the two future comings of Christ, the rapture and the second coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 to 6 says, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. There are two different burdens with the rapture and the second coming. Our burden in light of the rapture is to reach others for Christ so they are not left behind to go into the tribulation. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 to 8, that as children of light and children of the day, we need to be a light to the world. He challenges the church there that since we are children of the day, we shouldn't be sleeping or insensitive, spiritually speaking. We need to live awake and aware of what's coming with the rapture and the tribulation that follows it. And we need then to be watchful and sober, taking our responsibilities as believers seriously. Being sensitive to the need of the unbelieving to trust Christ before it's too late. Because every day the Lord could come. And thus every day... Those around us could then be plunged into the darkness and judgment of the seven-year tribulation. This makes the evangelization of the lost always urgent, and our burden is to reach people so they are not left behind at the rapture. However, the burden of Israel in light of the second coming will be for God's vengeance to be poured out on their enemies. Often when you read the book of Psalms, you'll read these glorious verses about the Lord, about Him being our strong tower, being our refuge. You read about His greatness and His glory. 
And then all of a sudden, the next verse will say, wipe out my enemies, Lord, destroy the wicked, send them to the lower parts of the earth. And it kind of jolts you when you read it. However, in light of the tribulation and the second coming, these imprecatory psalms, as they are called, will be Israel's burden in how they will pray in that day. And they won't be wrong in doing so. It will be a righteous burden. With the Antichrist hunting and persecuting believers in Christ, torturing and putting them to death, they will rightly pray in that day as they go through the tribulation, Lord, judge my enemies and destroy the wicked. Revelation 19.11 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. The rapture precedes the day of wrath. Paul's epistle to the Thessalonians make this crystal clear to the church that we have the comfort and assurance of being delivered from the wrath to come. The tribulation is the day of Jacob's or Israel's trouble. It is not the day of trouble for us, the body of Christ. The tribulation is Daniel's 70th week and part of God's prophetic timeline for Israel before he establishes his kingdom on the earth. But currently, God's prophetic program with Israel is on hold until this age of grace concludes with the rapture. The next thing on God's prophetic timeline is the tribulation, but we are removed by the rapture before it ever begins. The second coming concludes the day of wrath in the tribulation period. And this one is pretty easy to see just by reading the book of Revelation and seeing its sequence of events and where you find the second coming in the book. After you read about the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments, at the conclusion of that seven-year time of God's wrath being poured out on the world, and at the end of the book of Revelation, then you read of the heavens being opened and Christ coming on a white horse at the battle of Armageddon. Romans 11.25 says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. With Israel temporarily set aside in unbelief, God today is having a program with the Gentiles or the nations, and the rapture marks the end of the dispensation of the grace of God. Romans 11.25 talks about when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and that's when the fullness of this program with the Gentiles is completed. I personally believe this means that this is when the last member of the church, the body of Christ, is saved, and the body of Christ is whole and complete. At this time, the Lord will descend to raise the bodies of the members of the body of Christ who are with Him in heaven, and to catch the living members of the body of Christ up to be with Him, bringing the whole body of Christ together to be with Him in heaven. However, the second coming marks the end of the world, the end of the tribulation. That's what the disciples asked the Lord about in Matthew 24, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming 
and of the end of the world. And then the Lord proceeded to graciously answer their question. They asked him about the sign of thy coming, and in verses 29 and 30, he told them about the signs in the heaven above that would precede his coming. And then the sign of the Son of Man in heaven appearing, which is Christ himself coming with power and glory. They asked about the end of the world, and the Lord's second coming marks the end of the world and the end of the tribulation. That will be the end of the world as we know it, because everything will drastically change after Christ's coming and with the establishment of His kingdom on the earth. Jeremiah 23, 5-6 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Sudden destruction, famines, war, disease, disasters follow the rapture. Following the rapture of the church, Revelation 6 and 1 Thessalonians 5.3 tell us about a short time of deceptive peace and safety at the beginning of the tribulation. But then sudden destruction will come upon the world. This time of horror and destruction with its famines, food shortages, wars, pestilences, mega natural disasters, and great loss of life are all detailed in the book of Revelation. But in contrast, true peace, righteousness, safety, justice follow the second coming. This all comes as a result of the establishment of the Lord's millennial kingdom. When Christ comes to reign on the earth as king, this is what he brings to the earth. Wherever Christ is, that's what you find. You find peace, righteousness, safety, and justice. When the Prince of Peace reigns, there will be true peace on this earth. When the Lord, our righteousness, is present here on the earth, righteousness will pervade everything. Matthew 25, 31-32 reads, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. The judgment seat of Christ follows the rapture in heaven. Following the rapture after the whole body of Christ is in heaven, that is when we will individually stand before the Lord to give an account of the journey of our Christian lives and our service for Him. Rewards and our eternal reigning position with Christ will be determined based upon our faithfulness to Christ and to His truth. There's a judgment that follows the second coming, too. The judgment of the nations follows the second coming on the earth. After the second coming, at the close of the tribulation, and before the kingdom begins, the Lord will sit on the throne of His glory to judge the nations. The nations will be judged based on their treatment of believing Israel during the seven-year tribulation. If they cared for believing Israel and helped her during those years, they are granted entrance into the Lord's earthly kingdom, 
and will be told, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But if they failed to treat the Lord's brethren in Israel with kindness during that time, those nations will be told, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. The Rapture vs. the Second Coming is a 40-page booklet written by Pastor Kevin J. Sadler. This booklet provides a side-by-side contrast of the Rapture and the Second Coming of Christ. Bible references throughout show the vast differences between these two future events, while full-color photos illustrate the clear teachings of Scripture. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, Call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Revelation 19, verse 20 says, And the beast, that is the Antichrist, was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. The rapture takes place before the Antichrist is revealed. There is a continuous curiosity about the Antichrist and who he might be. Many have all kinds of ideas about who the Antichrist is and that this might be him or that might be him. But 2 Thessalonians 2 teaches that this man of sin won't be revealed until after we're gone and taken to heaven at the rapture. We will never know who the Antichrist is. And it's a waste of time to try to figure it out because we won't be here when he is revealed and when he rises to prominence after the rapture. Having said that, one of my teachers in Bible school made a good point. The devil has no idea when the rapture will occur. Therefore, for the past 2,000 years, there has always been a potential Antichrist on the earth. Since the devil doesn't know when the rapture will take place, Satan always has a guy that he would use to be the Antichrist. So currently, there is someone on the earth that would be the Antichrist if the Lord comes in our lifetimes. But he'll only be revealed after we're in heaven. And this drives my wife crazy. She really hopes that the Lord will let her have a peek from heaven one day to see who he is. But there is a difference between the rapture and Christ's second coming with this. Because Christ's second coming terminates the reign and life of the Antichrist. Revelation 19 makes that very clear. Satan, through the Antichrist, will attempt to counterfeit God's plans by having a worldwide kingdom of peace 
with worldwide worship of the Antichrist as God in the flesh. At the end of the tribulation, as things begin to fall apart for him, the Antichrist will amass a huge army and will overwhelm and overrun the land of Israel from top to bottom and gather for the battle of Armageddon to make war with God. And then the true Christ will descend from heaven at his second coming with power and glory, and he will crush this massive army, and then he'll take that lying, scrawny, weak, wicked little man by the scruff of his neck and cast him alive into the lake of fire. Joel 3.16 says, The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. At the rapture, the Lord descends from heaven with a shout to raise the dead and call the body of Christ home. Paul refers to the death of the body as sleeping in 1 Thessalonians 4. That's a term of hope, implying that the dead sleeping body will be awakened to life in the resurrection one day. The souls of the saints in the body of Christ are in heaven, and they come with Christ to the rapture. The Lord comes with a shout to wake up the sleeping dead bodies of those members of the body of Christ, and their bodies will respond to that shout and will rise. When the Lord raised the body of Lazarus from the dead, John eleven forty three says, He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And likewise, at the rapture with a loud voice, the Lord in His authority over death shouts, and immediately the dead in Christ rise first. And as Christ calls the body of Christ home, the power of that shout from the Lord of life will also raise the living right off the earth and catch us up to be with Him and change and glorify our bodies. At the second coming, the Lord comes with a roar, shout, with a sharp sword out of His mouth, which destroys the Antichrist's army. The Lord's shout at the second coming doesn't result in life, but rather death. It's a different kind of shout with different results. As the lion of the tribe of Judah, Christ comes with a roar, and that powerful roar, shout, and sword that proceeds out of His mouth will cause the Antichrist army to, to reel back in fear and panic and will literally cause people to melt away. Zechariah 14.12 says, Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Revelation 19, 11, and 14 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. At the rapture, the Lord himself descends and gloriously appears in the clouds in the air. Nothing is said about any horse that the Lord is riding at the rapture or any horses for the angels or armies of heaven that come with him at that day. We're just told, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, and he comes without a white horse. By grace, 
And out of a humble love for each of us, our Lord will personally descend himself from heaven to meet us in the air. But there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming and his descent. Because at the second coming, the Lord descends from heaven on a white horse, and the armies of heaven follow him on white horses. Sometimes I get asked whether there will be animals in heaven. The second coming shows that there are white horses in heaven. At the second coming, the Lord with the armies of heaven will come on white war horses to judge and make war and conquer the Antichrist, to take control of the earth as the true Christ establishes his worldwide kingdom. Matthew 25, 5-6 reads, While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. For the rapture, Christ could come at any time, day or night. We are to be looking and ready always. Many times I think we get it in our minds that the Lord's going to come at noonday sun to catch us away to heaven. It may be daytime in the USA when the Lord comes for us, but it's going to be nighttime in a lot of places around the globe when the Lord comes. And thus it may be the evening, it may be midnight, it may be three in the morning in the United States when He comes. As we're always and faithfully looking for that blessed hope, and we're ready always, we should remember this when we go to bed, that the rapture could happen in the middle of the night when we're fast asleep. But that would be a great way to be woken up, though, to wake up and to see the Lord in the air. For the second coming, however, I believe that Christ will come in one of the night watches in Israel. You see that from Matthew 25 when the Lord told the parable of the ten virgins and how at midnight the cry was made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Further, the Lord said in Matthew 24, 43, But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched. That watch refers to one of the four nighttime watches of the night in Israel, from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Also, with Gideon's 300 and the Midianite army, it was in the beginning of the middle watch that the 300 blew their trumpets, broke their pitchers, revealing the light inside, and then yelled, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And at the second coming, the Lord will come with a sudden burst of light, with the sword that proceeds out of his mouth, and with trumpet sound. And Gideon's, the event with Gideon took place at the beginning of the middle watch, which was midnight. And with this event foreshadowing the second coming, I believe it points to the Lord coming in one of the night watches in Israel. Revelation sixteen fifteen reads, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth. The rapture is the blessed hope, and the simile of a thief is never used for it. Confusion has come about concerning the rapture and the second coming because of terms meant to describe the second coming being applied to the rapture and terms meant for the rapture being applied to the second coming. And some have mistakenly applied the simile of thief in the night to the rapture. 
But in Scripture, the thief in the night does not pertain to the rapture at all. It is never called that in the Bible. It is rather called things like the blessed hope, or His appearing, or our gathering together unto Him. Along that line, we are often accused of being in error by referring to the Lord's coming for the church as the rapture, because the term rapture is not found in the Bible. But like the term Trinity is not found in the Bible, but is applied to the Godhead three-in-one to describe it, rapture is simply a term we apply to describe our catching away to heaven. The term rapture is derived from the Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible, where in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, the expression caught up is translated by the Latin word rapturo. Rapturo is where we get our English word rapture, and rapturo means to carry off, to catch away by force. And this is what takes place at the rapture. We, the body of Christ, are carried off and caught away by force as the Lord catches us up to heaven. But thief in the night is not used for our catching away at the Lord's coming for the body of Christ. The simile of a thief in the night describes the second coming. The Lord referring to his second coming in Revelation 16, 5 says, Behold, I come as a thief. And again, Matthew 24, 42 to 43, the Lord refers to his second coming, and he teaches about the thief coming during one of the night watches. And this is where the idea of the thief in the night comes from. The thief in the night, simile describes the suddenness and the unexpectedness of his coming to Israel and how it will surprise so many in that day. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Christ comes in glory at the rapture to take the body of Christ into glory in heaven. When Christ returns, He will come in all of His glory, the glory of His power and greatness. This is true for both the rapture and the second coming. Titus 2.13 tells us to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. As God, Christ has the glory of God, and when He appears, He comes in His glory, and it will be a glorious appearing. Likewise, at the second coming, Christ comes in great glory. Matthew 24, 30 tells us that at that day all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Where the difference comes in is the glory to which Christ takes those He comes for at each coming. In this, there are two different glories associated with the two future comings of Christ. For us, the body of Christ, when Christ shall appear, then we will also appear with Him in glory, that is, in the glory of heaven. Israel has the hope of glory also, but it's the glory of the earthly millennial kingdom. Thus, Christ comes in glory at the second coming to take Israel into the glory of His earthly kingdom. Please join us next time when we'll continue our walk through the comparisons and contrasts between the rapture of the body of Christ and the second coming of Christ to Israel.
Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.